there we are. So good to have Pastor Peter back. One more round of applause. Pastor Peter. I didn't know what to do with myself. Every Monday, we usually kind of hang out and spend the morning together, and uh, I'm glad you're back. Tomorrow's going to be awesome. We're going to do something fun. I don't know what it's going to be, but maybe I'll go for breakfast or something. He's out the door already. Hey, uh, we're so glad that you uh, choose to be here at the Father's House, not only on Sundays, but uh, for those of you that call this church your home, we're just glad you choose to be here. It matters. We know summer, you could probably be, uh, you know, in a laundry list of different places. Um, If you're choosing to watch online, we're just so glad you're here. Um, Last week, I launched us into our brand new series called The Reset, Rediscovering Worship. And I talked all about resetting our expectations. And I wanted to review a little bit about uh, where we left off last week, because in order to understand where we're going to be today, it's really important that we understand where we started things off. And you're going to notice a theme in this um, series throughout the next few weeks as we build toward kind of a deeper understanding of this, this mentality of what a reset should look like. So last week we talked about the four expectations that we should have in worship. These are things we should expect. The first one is a, um, a sense of God's presence, a conviction of our own sinfulness, a joyful reminder of God's grace and the inspiration to serve. These things are how God desires each of us to experience the fullness of what worship was always supposed to be. It is supposed to reflect his incredible, inspiring love for us so that we can receive and then engage the world around us with the same kind of transformative love. For reset to mean anything, you have to be willing to make decisions to change things from the way that they've always been done to the way that they might need to be from now on. And the problem is, is that we don't like to give up control. I don't like to give up control. I I don't know about you, but I like to be in control of my life. I like to make my decisions. I like to be responsible for the things that I can control. It's very difficult for me to give that control over, and you might feel the same. So why worship God? If we want to be in control, why worship God? What benefits are there? What, what, what happens if we don't? You know, in all, serious, in all seriousness, do you expect God to meet you where you're at? Do you expect God to meet you where you're at? Are you willing to move towards him? Because today I'm going to talk all about proximity, resetting our proximity to God. And we're going to jump into that because it's important to understand that last week was all about resetting our expectations. And today is going to be a real challenge for us about resetting our proximity in the way that we think about that. We're going to pray together now. God, we come to you this morning and just ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Speak to us in a powerful way today, God. We pray that you would just give us hope, give us an encouragement this morning. Leave us better than we came. We pray this in your name. Amen. Popular religion... Uh, speaks about man reaching up to God. That's what popular religion speaks about. It often paints this image of us reaching up to God. And and that's not necessarily totally wrong, um, but the reality is that I want to kind of flip that on its head this morning, is um, God is actually reaching down to us. Would you agree with that? God is actually reaching down to us. And it's really easy to put ourselves kind of in this narrative where we are in control of our engagement with God. And so we are reaching up to God. But it was really important that you look through this lens today that God is actually reaching to us. 
All right, so it's important that you understand both narratives, narratives exist, both are true. However, neither one is totally separated from one another. There's an involvement that we have and that God has in the process. We just need to understand that. Worship is not just the last two songs during our praise and worship set, <laughs> okay? It's not just the last two songs on Sunday morning when we start to kind of get, you know, in the moment and we're feeling something. It's not, that's not what it's, not, it's all about. It's not found in our, you know, in a hymn book. It's not found um, online when you search up new songs, trending 2022 worship songs. It's not, that's not what worship is. Worship has nothing to do with tempo. It has nothing to do with lights. It has nothing to do with every, every aspect of the environment. It has nothing to do with that. I've realized this, is that we can blame each other for the way that we've landed, the way that we understand things when it comes to worship. We can do that. It's pretty easy. But um, most of us, the more that I kind of thought about like, yeah, I mean, have we really learned how to worship though? Like most of us come to church on Sunday and we expect to participate in some way in a worship experience, right? We, we come expectant to worship or to be a part of praise and worship. But have we actually really like been trained to worship? And that's a difficult question because for me, in my experience, in my faith, I've just grown up experiencing it all the time. The question becomes is do I actually really understand it? Because I think many of us haven't really been taught how to worship. Some of us think that, you know, um, it, it, it's not emotional at all. I actually worked for an organization that um, told me that um, I had to ignore my heart um, when it comes to that. That was quite staggering. Um, not what I believe at all. I believe that God directly connects to my heart. Um, so that's kind of the opposite. The, the, the other side of things is that some of us believe that it has to be extremely emotional for us to receive anything. Right? We have to experience this incredible emotional experience in order for us to truly engage in worship. And, and, and the way that we give God glory looks vastly different across the board. It's all different. But it really what it comes down to is this, is that it's all about the way that we respond to him. I've been involved in um, a number of different musical endeavors in my life, and some of them in the church, some of them outside of the church. And I've learned things like stage production, performance, presentation, um, and it's, those things are great, it's not, but it's kind of created this hyper-critical um, lens that I look at things through um, when, I, when it comes to evaluating systems of music and praise and, and those kind of a aspects, those areas. If I'm not careful, it's really easy to drift into me-centered worship, where I analyze and look at it as though it's somehow meant to satisfy my needs. Does anybody else relate with that? You know, for me, sometimes I, I, I've literally had to, you know, leave the church for many years. I've had to literally drive away from the church after the service, and I've had to drive away telling myself, don't be critical. Don't be critical. Don't be critical. <laughs> don't be critical. I've literally had to tell myself that all over. It's not, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me, right? I, I've had to do that because sometimes I look through a critical lens. But it's got way less to do with us than we realize. It's easy to think that I know a lot. You know, for me, it's easy to think in my head, well, I have experience, I understand when it comes to praise and worship, how it should look, what it should feel like. I think I know a lot, but when it comes to wisdom, that's another truth. That's another thing. So we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, and look at this. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. 
I've read the scripture before, but I, I've never really understood it the way I, I've understood it today, and I'm going to break it down. We need to understand that there are three components right here in this section of scripture, and I love the way that Pastor Rick Warren, um, he wrote A Purpose Driven Life, if you don't know who he is, um, he breaks this down. He puts it like this. There's knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. There's three components, and knowledge is simply facts and information. Knowledge is facts and information. You know, the forecast tells me that it's going to be a minimum of 40 degrees Celsius in Phoenix this week when I go. That's what it's going to be. Every single day, it's a minimum of 40. Some days, 46. Some days, 47. Um, I am, I'm really warm up here just even thinking about that. Like, I, I don't know how to pack for that. I don't know how to pack for 46-degree weather. I don't think there's anything you can do to stay cool. Um, that, 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 you know, I would be knowledgeable if I said to you today that next week is going to be extremely hot. Next week's going to be very hot. That, that's based off of the information, the facts and information that I have. But understanding is this. Understanding is to perceive the intended meaning. You can have knowledge, but there may be an intended meaning that is deeper than just the facts and information, and you need understanding. And then finally, there's wisdom, which is applied knowledge. Everyone has the knowledge that texting while driving is bad. Okay? My wife, so awesome, she tells me this all the time. Get off your phone. Get off your phone, right? If you don't know that, if you don't know that texting and driving is bad, if you think that it's totally, totally fine, that you're not at risk to anybody else, I, I, I can't help you in this narrative. I, I, I don't know. If, that's not a great starting point if that's what you believe. But it is not good. It's not safe. It's not great. If you get in an accident while texting and driving, all of a sudden, you will have an understanding of what I'm saying. All of a sudden, you will have an understanding. You will have the implied meaning. The accident reinforced the understanding. And once you get understanding, you should then walk in wisdom. This is why they give tickets out for this kind of thing, is because they want you to understand that there's something that will happen if you do this behavior. And it's supposed to actually give us an understanding. It's supposed to give us wisdom so that we understand without having to experience the heartache, the hurt, the pain, the consequence that could occur. Before you gain the wisdom, the applied knowledge that it's bad, dangerous, and no good, they set up these parameters. They set up these, these things for us to kind of catch us. What I'm saying is, is this, is that in this series, what we're trying to do is to help you uncover that wisdom, the wisdom for worship, what it really looks like, is beyond really the experience each of us have had in church. Is beyond really the experience each of us have really totally collectively experienced here in praise and worship, even on a Sunday. Worship is much more beyond that. Worship, the wisdom for real worship is beyond that. Why should we do it? Why should we partake in worship? What do we, what do, we do when, when the music's played on Sunday, but the music stops on Sunday as well? What do we do when we go throughout our week and there isn't corporate praise and worship? What is that worship supposed to look like? How is worship supposed to transform from this expression into our lives in our day-to-day -day expressions? How is worship supposed to part be, be partaken in throughout the week? It doesn't make sense. Sometimes this expression doesn't really fit and translate across to the rest of our life. I, I don't have the wisdom to worship. I don't understand. So what I'm trying to encourage you by launching the series this way is that by the end of the series, we will be so transformed and so changed our minds will be renewed, that we won't care what kind of song we sing, what tempo it's in, or even who you're sitting beside. Can I get an amen? That's what we're trying to do, is that by the end, you can clap, it's okay. By the end, yeah, let's make some noise, it's about worship. By the end of this worship series, we want you to care way less about what kind of song we sing, 
what tempo it's in, or who you're sitting beside. That is the goal. That's the heart behind the series. And, and however the enemy might be coming at you this week, or maybe is coming at you today, this morning, maybe even on the way to church this morning, our goal is that by resetting our worship the way that we understand it, that we will be able to hold up against all the things that try to pull us away from the wisdom and power of God. Because unless we have that understanding, unless we have that kind of wisdom, we will not be capable to push back the enemy. But with that wisdom and with that understanding, we are capable of so much more through God. We want to have the wisdom to worship. When it comes to caring for our souls, our worship, the way that, and the things that we do that honor God and bring glory to him, presence and proximity is important. Presence and proximity is important. The first and most basic thing we have to do is to keep God at the very forefront of our minds. And David, we read this in the Bible, he, he knew this secret and he wrote this, I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. That's wisdom. That is wisdom. That is such certainty. See, our part in practicing our presence with God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may be challenged by our habits. Um, how many of us, you know, have habits in our lives that maybe don't create a ton of space for God? You know, I, I reflect even for myself, like what kind of habits do I partake in or what kind of habits do I have? Or what, what have I developed in my life that prevents me from really creating space for real worship? for real opportunities and moments of worship. You know, the, the, the good news is this morning is that if, you've, if you're coming today and you're experiencing some of these habits, the good news is, is that habits can be broken and habits can be changed, and we're going to do that together today. Thomas Watson wrote this. The first fruit of love is the musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love, his thoughts are ever upon the object. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. When I'm awake, I'm still with thee. The thoughts are as travelers in the mind. David's thoughts kept heaven road. I am still with thee. God is the treasure, and where the treasure is, there is the heart. By this we may test our love to God. What are our thoughts most upon? Can we say we are ravished with delight when we think on God? Have our thoughts got wings? Are they fled aloft? Do we contemplate Christ in glory? A sinner crowds God out of his thoughts. He never thinks of God unless with horror as the prisoner thinks of the judge. Wow. Do you think of God at all? Is God on your mind? Is he part of your considerations? See, because when we worship, when worship becomes the constant undertone of our lives, it's the single most powerful force in completing and sustaining restoration of our whole beings to God. We read in Romans chapter 12, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, from knowledge to understanding to wisdom. This is the reset. This is what we're discussing today about resetting our proximity to God when it comes to the way that we understand worship. And I'm jumping in with you today. We're going to do this together. I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach this morning to a story that you're probably very familiar with, but we're going to look at it in a different way. So you can turn to Luke chapter 15 with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we can get one for you. Or if you want to pull out your phone and download the YouVersion Bible app, that's a great resource as well. Um, we encourage you to be in the Word and to read your Word because it is the powerful it's powerful for your life and will change your life as you let that live and reflect through you. We're going to read this, Luke chapter 15, 11 to 24. Jesus continued 
There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Isn't that a good story? Isn't that a good story, church? Isn't that a good story, church? Okay, amen, come on. It tells the story about how every one of us tend to wander away from our creator. We tend to wander away from the father who created us, the God who loves us. And this kid starts off by demanding from his father for what he believes is rightfully his. It's all about me. And, and we usually start in the same place. You know, give me mine, God, right now. I want it this second, this moment. I want it now. Show up. Do something, God. Heal, God, right now. Do it on my terms, God, right now. We often end up in the same position where it might not be a materialistic thing that we're demanding for. It might not be an inheritance that we're demanding for, but we might still expect God to move when we say move. We might expect God to show up when we say show up. You know, this kid, he takes off and he wastes his money, his time, his energy, and he becomes homeless. Um, the first time that I moved out from living with my mom, notice how I said the first time? The first time that I moved out, I told her I was moving out like two weeks after high school. I finished my last exam. Uh, I said, Mom, after I finish my exam, I'm moving out. She said, I don't think that's a very good idea. I said, you're right. It's a great idea. I am moving out. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be super fun. Um, I moved out with $800 in my bank account. And man, did I suffer. Like, I didn't just struggle, church. I suffered. There were times I couldn't eat. I couldn't pay my rent. I had to sign up for the food at the food bank just to get a hot meal. I was suffering because I wanted what was due to me. I wanted, you know, the promise of success, the promise of right now, the promise of independence right now, immediately. God, do it for me right now. I'm taking it. I'm doing it on my own right now. And I pursued it, and, I, and I, I felt my life, my control immediately different than I hoped it would be. We read in our story about this son. On top of all these things, the son, he also found himself in a similar spot. He was, you know, um, basically looking for help. And the nation all of a sudden is in famine, and he's not going to get any help from them. They, can't, they don't have anything for him. He can't find a job. He's trying to get one. He finally finds one, and it happens to be the worst job. You know, it's crazy what, what, what you'll do when you hit rock bottom. It's crazy the kind of things that you'll take on when you hit rock bottom, when you have no other options. When you are out of control and you have no other options, you will take whatever is in front of you. 
But somehow when we're in control, we like to maintain this illusion that we have the choice, that we will decide. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you are in a position where you're wondering, what is next for me? What, what does God have for me? I'm, I'm in that moment right now where I'm doing something that I just don't like. I just am dissatisfied. I'm not happy. Just give me a job. You know, just anything, anything, God. Save my relationships, whatever it might be. Whatever you're in that, in that moment pursuing God saying, I'm here. I'm, I'm in the worst it's ever been. Maybe you're experiencing that same kind of desperation, that eagerness, but but in that moment of feeling desperate, in that moment of feeling that kind of intensity, it often doesn't result in the best choices. And it's crazy what you'll do when you're in that place. Many times in my life where I would just take any job, any job that I could get, um, I was desperate, desperate for it. And as a Jewish man being in the situation, um, it's significant that he takes this job. He gets a job, but it's working with pigs. And as a Jewish man, you're not supposed to even touch pigs but he gets the worst job a Jewish kid could get. And what does he do? He gets so hungry, so desperate, he thinks that the food the pig is eating looks good. Just in time, he starts to come to his senses. I, 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 I kind of think to myself, like, did he try some? <laughs> like, did he try, like, one of those pellets? Did he actually? Because part of me wonders, like, if he was that desperate, if he was in that position, did he do it? But just in time. He starts to come to his senses, and he realizes that even the servants working for his family get fed better than him. And he goes back, and he begs for a job. Treat me like one of your servants. Anything is better than this. Anything is better than what I've been through. Treat me like one of your servants. And the father responds. We're going to look at that this morning. But there are four things that you need to do if you're looking to reset your proximity to God. And the truth is, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're so far disconnected from anything connected to God, you're not even sure that this is worth your time. You maybe even are regretting that you even came today. Maybe you have decided to be here after a long season of not being here, and you're giving this one more chance, one more opportunity for God to speak to you today. I, I, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're experiencing today, but I'm just really glad that you chose to be here today because this moment for us, church, is going to require us to, to, to maybe be a little bit uncomfortable and to actually begin to move in proximity toward God. The first thing to reset your proximity to God, and you'll see life-changing tra transformation, is this. Admit that you are dissatisfied with your life. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, my life is terrible. I'm not saying that you have to all of a sudden take everything good in your life and, and admit that it's wrong or that it's bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I want you to ask yourself, what's your life look like? What are the things that you're tired of? You know, if you, if you have a pretty good life and things are relatively good, you're managed, under control, but you come to church on Sunday and you criticize and you critique, is everything good? Are you satisfied? If there's still areas of your life that you're dissatisfied? You know, is it possible that things could be okay with your marriage, but you still be dissatisfied with your job? Of course it is, right? There, there, there's a reality that I want you to process today. I want you to decide to take a minute and just think about what areas of your life are you tired of? What are you dissatisfied with? Because unless we're dissatisfied with the way things are in those areas, things are never going to change. You know, I, I, if you're, maybe you're thinking, I don't like worship. I don't like talking about worshiping. I, I don't like that they're asking us to be uncomfortable. I don't like any of that. I don't like the way our church does whatever it is. Good. 
<laughs> good, you're in a good position. You're in a good position to change because God's not going to let you stay there. God's not going to let you stay in that position unless you begin acknowledging that you're, that you're, you're done, that you're tired of the way things have been. There's no room to begin to grow. We read in the, in the verse that he had wasted everything that he took. He had nothing left, and he gets desperate and hungry, and then he finally comes to his senses. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're there in that moment today. And God doesn't want to see you stay where you are. And if you're unhappy and dissatisfied, God wants to see you move out of that place, but he's not going to do it for you. You've got to admit it to him. God, I am desperate. I am trying to do this apart from you, and I am absolutely not satisfied. The first step is to admit that you're dissatisfied with your life. We read in Jeremiah 29, 13 in the message. I love the way this is written. God says, you'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. If you want to be in a casual relationship with God where you pretend you've got everything in control, it's managed well, you don't really need him, you're going to be disappointed. That's not the kind of relationship that God wants with you. And I'm intentionally going to spend the shortest amount of time on this because I actually believe a lot of us are doing this pretty well, where most of us are fairly satisfied with the way things are going in life. But it's important to recognize that the dissatisfaction in your life is the first step to inviting God into the process. The second thing you need to reset your proximity for resetting your proximity to God is this, is own up to your sin. You've got to own up to your sin. I talked about it last week, but we'll read it in our story. Luke 15, 17 to 18. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and you. You know, this, as we talked about last week, as we begin to look and draw closer to God, our sin begins to reveal itself. It's impossible to keep those parts hidden. But beyond that, we've actually got to own up to it. Once it's been revealed, we actually have to own up to it. We have to, and we get to a point where we are willing to admit the areas in our life that draw us away from him. And we're often so afraid of consequence that we don't do anything. We're often so afraid of consequence that we live with sin that we really shouldn't live with. You know, we, I, and I don't know if it's consequent, a fear of consequence of what God's going to do. I don't think it is, because I think so many of us like to be in control way, way too much. I don't think it's a fear of God. But I think that it's a fear of, like, what will others think? Or what will this cause in my relationship? Or, or what will I lose? Or what will I miss out on if I admit this thing? You know, a lot of our concerns become around us, become around our life, rather than thinking about the way that God is asking us and hoping that we'll choose to live. We have to be willing to own up to it, to take it from just knowledge to understanding, and that understanding then eventually become wisdom. Isaiah 59 verse 2 said, your sins have separated you from God and have hidden his face from you. There's no standing still in Christian life. There's none. You can't do it. If there's sin in your life, we just have to recognize all of us are sinners. There's sin in our life that separates us from God. There is sin in our life that up until the coming of Jesus was meant to separate us from God for eternity. And so there's a recognition that that sin in our life has to be owned up to. We have to own up to it. We have to recognize it. Now, as we grow and as we come into relationship with God, as we move in our relationship and connectedness with the Father, something happens as we're obedient to his word. We can either um, begin to grow or our, our, our spirit becomes kind of... Um, shaped and matured into this kind of humbleness, this pursuit of knowing and this wisdom that's deep, that's lasting, or we can actually start to regress. We can start to regress almost into this spiritual infancy 
through unbelief or disobedience or fleshly desires. We either are spiritual Christians who are maturing in faith or we are believers whose spiritual growth is being stunted by the unresolved sin in our life. But the good news is this. Our position in Christ is eternally secure. Our position in Christ is eternally secure. And the privileges we've received by faith will never be taken from us. They will never be taken from us and can never be lost or negated. However, terrible consequences like we read about accompany the unfaithful servant who lives for himself and not for the Lord. We read about it. Life isn't good. I'm dissatisfied. This is not how it's supposed to go. Life on that side isn't good. Fellowship with the Father is broken. Future rewards can be forfeited. Spiritual growth is stunted. And instead of having a victorious Christian walk through his sufficient grace, they are defeated by the race of life. And you know people in your life that are feeling that right now. And I know people in my life that are feeling that right now. But listen to this, church. You are as close to God as you choose to be. You are as close to God as you choose to be. No one else is to blame for where in proximity you are to God. You can't blame your friends, your boss, your spouse, your government. You can't blame other people in relation to your spiritual condition. You can't. You are as close to God as you choose to be. Are you desperate? Are you desperate? Are you dissatisfied? Because if you are, if you truly are, then that dissatisfaction leads to an opportunity for you to own up to your sin and then choose to make it so. We expect God's response to be harsh and and maybe hurtful sometimes when we admit our sin, but when we come to God with the what I've done, it's beautiful. Look at this in Psalm 51, 1 to 4. He says, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults and I'm conscious that I've sinned against you. This is David. This is David praying after he committed adultery and then killed that, his, that wife's husband. That's brutal. That's give, that gives hope for me, guys. You know, David is in a position where he's like not only sinned, slept with someone's wife, but then he's murdered that wife's husband. Like that's, and, and he's praying this prayer. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults and I'm conscious that I've sinned against you. David's going through this process, this knowledge, understanding, wisdom. He's going through this process of understanding that as he begins to own up to this, he's realizing, God, you are so good. God, you are so faithful. You are so gracious, God. I'm so undeserving of it. But the only one that can make me clean is you. He owns up to it. He owns up to his sins. And we read in Isaiah 1, 18, the Lord says this, no matter how deep the stains of your sin, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. God is bigger than your sin. God is capable of cleansing your life, but only in proximity with him. So we've got to admit that we're dissatisfied, that there are things in our life that we're dissatisfied with. We've got to own up to our sin. And the third thing is this, we've got to offer up ourselves. In Luke um, 15, 12 and Luke 15, 19, I want you to look at this. So the start of our story says this, the son drifted away saying, give me my share. And then in Luke 15, 19, he returned to the father saying, make me a servant. What a difference. What a transformation. Have you ever experienced anything like that when you start one way and end up radically transformed and, and actually totally opposite? 
That's real transformation. And that's what it looks like to be in proximity to God. It shifts and it changes the entire landscape of our behavior and our actions. And as we choose to bring awareness to the things that are not going well, we're not working in our favor, we admit our sin, and all of a sudden we're perfectly fine just having any seat at the table. God, I'll even take the floor. <laughs> right? As soon as we admit that to God, as soon as we say, God, I have, I have gone so the wrong way. All of a sudden, there's a recognition that any position, any place before God is good enough. Anything will do. We just want to be in his presence. We just want to experience his grace. And that's the kind of transformation that God wants for us. You know, all the things that used to matter to us before we acknowledge our sinful nature don't have to maintain the same level of importance when it comes to the satisfaction of our life. Here's how to know if it's happening in the way that you worship. When it comes to your worship, when your heart moves from self-centered thoughts and worship to God-centered worship, you're in process of real and life-changing transformation. When your heart moves from self-centered thoughts, me, 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 I don't like, I wish they, only, 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 they ever only do this, I, all these different thoughts, to God-centered worship, God, how amazing you are, how incredible you are, I am so absolutely thankful to be in your presence. You saved me, you brought me out of my sin and shame, you've covered me, you've cleansed me, you've forgiven me, you've renewed me. When you transition into that, to God-centered worship, you are in process of transformation that will last. But as long as our focus is on us, as long as our focus is on that part of our life that we want to maintain control over, we will not experience real worship. Because church, you might have a worship moment, but it will not be transformative if you don't do these things. You might experience a powerful moment of worship on a Sunday here, praise and worship. You may engage the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit may speak to you in a powerful way, and that might cause you to start moving in these, these, this direction, start making these decisions. But you cannot expect one single experience to replace the transformation that God is asking us to experience. Some of us need to be honest and admit that, that maybe we're not really there. Maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we haven't fully experienced that transformation. Maybe we just still want things our way a little more than we want to offer up ourselves. And so even though we're in process of learning to be in proximity to God, we still see signs of being self-centered. We still see signs of being selfish because we're not really, we're not really ready to offer ourselves up. And the good news is this, this will probably be a process throughout your entire life. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not that experienced in terms of life experience. Um, I have uh, hopefully a lot more of my life to live. And the reality is that I know what God has already done for me is only going to get better as I live in proximity to him. And I know that because I've seen it in my own life. And I know that so many of you are experiencing the same thing. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It doesn't say we reflect the Lord's glory and are immediately transformed into his likeness. <laughs> it says we are being transformed. There's a process, and the Greek breakdown of that word transformed actually is, you know, becomes part of the root word of metamorphosis. 
And it, it alludes to this greater transformation that takes place, this timeline of transformation, this powerful process of transformation. It's not immediate. It's not right away, but it's a beautiful process. It's a growing and changing and shifting process that as we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed as we do these things. We are in process. As we move in closer in proximity to him, our spiritual act of worship becomes to offer ourselves up to God as living sacrifices to allow the transformation and renewing of our minds to take place. The renewing of our minds is that transition from knowledge to understanding to wisdom. Romans 12 says, because God is merciful to you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at the father's response in our story in Luke 15. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Bring the best. Bring the fattened calf. Bring the robe. Bring the signet ring. You know, while he was still far off, the moment that we say to God, the moment that we say we want to be close to him, he comes to us immediately. He meets us right there. God doesn't waste a single second, but, but we, you know, we don't even have to necessarily be in sight. We just have to be, okay, God, I'm, I'm willing. And God is like, yes, come on. There's transformation to take place. And he's going to establish you greater than you could have even imagined. Beyond the inheritance that you think you deserve, God has something beyond that prepared for you. God is waiting for you to submit your life to him, to get to a place and a position where you are so dissatisfied with living the way you've been living that you own up to your sin, that you offer up your life to him and say, God, here I am. And he comes running and he embraces you and he embraced us in the greatest way possible when he sent his son with his arms open to embrace us, dying on a cross forgiving us of our sins, cleansing us, and then going to the grave and conquering death so that the consequence wasn't something we had to fear, that we could be hopeful and encouraged in the hope of Jesus. God pursues you. God is reaching to you. The fourth thing that we have to do when resetting our proximity is to lift up our praise. I love talking about this one. I love to praise. I love to worship. But our only response to this transformation that's taking place in our life, this grace and freedom from condemnation, is to praise the one who is welcoming us with open arms. Is to praise that. It's amazing that God who asks for our praise would only require us to be honest that we are desperately in need of him. So often when we come to worship expecting it to meet our needs, but God is actually wanting to meet our needs so that our worship, our praise becomes a response out of the overflow and the blessing. It's a party as a result of the homecoming. It's a, you know, it's a celebration that you've already arrived, that you're in process, that you're on the way. God is wanting to meet our needs. We sang this new song this morning. Um, it goes, you know, I'm holding on to faith because I know you'll make a way. And if we ask ourselves, well, how do you know? because I've experienced it. I felt God. And I don't always understand. I don't always get to see, but I will believe it. I will believe it. Because I needed it, and you were there, God. You did it, God, and I can't help but believe because, for me, you did it. You followed through. You were faithful. 
then we get to celebrate because you make mountains move. You make giants fall and you use songs of praise. Our very praise and worship becomes how he transforms us and shapes us into his image and then shapes the world around us to shake prison walls. And I will speak to my fear and I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful then and you'll be faithful now. I'm going to invite the band to come. This is what it looks like to move from knowledge to understanding to wisdom. Luke 15, 23 to 24 says, we're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. This is his father. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. We may have a good handle on the doctrine of Jesus, um, but fully understanding worship, the heart of it is to understand and enjoy intimacy with him. To be in proximity to God is to understand that his sacrifice, sending his son Jesus, it was more than enough for us. It covers us. Choosing a life of free of sin and shame, being so aware and owning up to the fact that we're dissatisfied with life, trying to do it on our own, that we own up to our sinful ways, that we offer ourselves up, that we praise him with everything we have left. These are the steps that begin the process of rediscovering what worship is supposed to look like in our lives. All of us are a little lost. We're all at different stages of, you know, or moments of this worship, this moment, without recognizing that life change is a result of the intimacy with our Savior. You know, we, we, we can often position ourselves to think that we need more than we need or that we need something different than God has to provide. But what God wants to provide for us, he's offering to us by saying, live your life, offer your life as a living sacrifice to me. Offer everything that you are, everything that you have to me, just as you are. And you're more than enough. Powerful moments of opportunity in our lives to have praise moments like this. But it's so much more than just a song. It's so much more than just a single experience that God is calling us into. God is calling us into a kind of depth of understanding, a wisdom that comes from living in proximity to Him. And as we live in proximity to Him and as we choose to be in relationship with Him, all that He requires is that we come to Him bringing our lives as we are. You don't have to be perfect, church. We all have things. We all have things in our life that we need to turn over to God. We all have areas in our lives where we could probably afford to be a little more dissatisfied. The hardest part is admitting to God that, hey, I can't do it on my own. But God is just asking you. He's inviting you. He's calling you in to a future with an inheritance far beyond that which you already think you are owed. God is inviting you into a future, to a promise that is so rich, that is so good. I want to pray over you this morning. Father, I pray this morning for anyone here, God, that is wondering, that is hoping that you would reveal yourself to them today. Father, I'm praying this morning for marriage, God, that needs to be knit back together. I'm praying this morning, God, for healing in someone's life who is experiencing tremendous heartache. praying this morning, God, that we would all be courageous enough to admit that we don't have it all figured out. 
Renew our mind, God. Renew our hearts. Help us get out of the way. Father, we want to worship you. We want to praise you with everything that we have. And God, we're just so grateful that what we have is enough. We're so grateful that you sent your son to be more than enough. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're not enough, please don't leave here without praying with someone. We're going to have prayer available under the cross. Please don't leave here without praying with someone if you're feeling like you're not enough. Don't leave this place carrying the baggage that God never intended for you to carry. Don't leave this place holding on to your paper. But give it up to him today. Give it up to him today. And allow him to renew 